I'm Graham McMillan, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, in a special mini-cast episode, Jeff Lester and I talk about the best comics, or really our favourite comics from 2017. That means comics that have come out this year, but also comics that we have revisited. Uh, I talk briefly about uh, what I described on Twitter as some personal news, and we basically get distracted as we always tend to do. Hopefully you enjoy it, hopefully you're all having a wonderful, wonderful festive time as you listen to this. Enjoy the episode. Hello! Oh, come on, you weren't even ready for that, Jeff Lester. No, I wasn't! You know why? Because I was looking at the the call recorder thing to see if it was recording, and I was like, oh shit, it's not recording, and then it did, so... The end, which is why I almost called you Edie Burton, which would have been hilarious. Oh my should, should we redo the opening, Jeff? No, 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 man. Let it roll. <laughs> Laissez le bon temps rouler. What better way to celebrate uh, what a fine year 2017 is than to commemorate our um, one of our final episodes with me calling you by my wife's name? Because that's, um, that's just how, that's just, that's, that's just the thing how well my life is rolling so it, it's how you roll it's how we all roll it is it is it is it is how we roll which is to say confusedly uh yeah somewhat unevenly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah hey, exactly well, it's, it's it's the the i was gonna say christmas special but it's not <laughs> it's it's a a holiday special where jeff and i are going to quickly run down uh, our favorite books of the year yeah yeah. But, um, yeah. By which, which I mean, promised, yeah. Which we I promised last time, which I because Jeff and I have already spoken about this. Uh, maybe me listing lots of favorite books and Jeff going, "Oh, that sounds interesting," and that's it. Yeah. No, I've got a list. I've got a list. I've got. But it's just, uh, believe me, my list is. Um, I call it my triple A top ten, and that is because it is appalling, absurd, and arbitrary. Three oh, days. so it's not. It's not a. a a triple A reference. No. I thought there's going to be some sort of like car joke in there. Somewhere. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. No, 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 that that's uh, maybe, maybe, um, maybe, maybe I can work one in there. Yeah. Maybe next year. <laughs> I, I always think of that, uh, that joke, that old joke, like a, 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 the only automobile agency run by former alcoholics. A, 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 a. <laughs> oh, Jesus first God. name in the phone book. So, yeah. Oh, and- so, uh, Graham McMillan, hey, let's yeah. hear your amazing choices and and be sure to to talk about a why they're amazing because that's a that's always a sticking point for me, uh, and b also some of the amazing circumstances under which you've read them. Uh, could that be the fact that this is now out in public that I am a judge for the Eisners next year? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> which you've known for a while. Yeah. Let's let's be upfront. Uh, and in the like, I've made references in past episodes about like reading for for reasons, mm-hmm. and that's what they've been about. Um, my reading this year, is, or at least for the last few months, has been much broader than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, in purely because of the Eisners, purely because I'm 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 tr- I'm trying to get uh, a, a good handle on what's going on, and also. This is kind of talking out of school slightly. Um, we get a recommended reading list when we agree to be Eisner judges. Mm. That is that's um, interesting. And, to know. and there's a bunch of stuff on there that I literally had never heard of. Right. 
right. and there's a bunch I had heard of and read, but there's a bunch of stuff I just never heard of. Yeah, uh, and at least two of those books are some of my favorite books of the year. Well, that's that's which is wonderful. How great is that? Like you've got all right. this oh, stuff. It, you end up it's it's some of your genuine. Books. That, yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's also been ones I've read and been like, "This is trash." <laughs> this is like one of the worst books of the year. Shit. Yep. Yeah. No, really. Like, there. I'm not going to name names, but there's at least a couple where I've been like. I can't even believe this got published. Yeah, hopefully it won't be one of those situations where you're like sitting at the table directly across from Frank oh, I, Cho I, I, and he's like, I, "What do you mean?" I, I fully, I fully expect that it's going to be like me thinking that and like five other people being like, "I thought this was a beautiful work," and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so I, I'll start with a, I'll start with a couple of the books that I had never heard of that that are, are just like blew me the fuck away. But before you do. Uh, I have a quick, important, process-oriented question. Sure. Reading for Reasons. Does that sound like a Squeeze album title to you? I, I think it does. <laughs> if, it's, uh, if Squeeze are out there, feel free to use it as a greatest hits. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, that is good. Yeah, I can see it. Okay, anyway, sorry. Please continue. Now now, now attack. Eleanor Davis's You on a Bike and a Road. Hmm. It's published by Koyama Press, mm -hmm. and it's a diary comic of her attempt to bicycle between her parents' house and her home. Hmm. And she's going across state lines. I want to say it's Georgia to Texas, or maybe Texas to Georgia. Um, and it is, it's lovely. I mean, it's it's genuinely heartwarming. It's very personal. It's very human. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazingly loose. Like that, there is no structure to speak of, and yet it really works in this particular format. There's other books that are that are, I've been reading that um, are equally unstructured, but it works against them. Mm -hmm. And so, kind of surprised. Again, I'm not going to name names, but uh, I was kind of surprised that the the lack of structure for this book is very much in its favor, mm -hmm. um, because the subject matter is pretty much. Eleanor Davis saying, I like, I'm setting on this journey and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And this could be a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know what's going to happen. Hmm. And something about that reflecting in the, the formalism of the book where it's, you know, it really is, you know, a page of her complaining about the wind or going up hills mm -hmm. and a page of, of essentially a still life. Hmm. And then, you know, cartoons about there, there's a great thing where she she talks about how basically like she's a woman and, and men are creeps and lots of men are like, are you traveling alone? And she's like, no, I'm with my husband. And she has this great joke. She's like, sometimes I have a fancy where I should have a knife and call it my husband. <laughs> I don't see like her stabbing a guy in the face going, meet my husband. <laughs> Which is like, it's, you know, it's silly jokes as well as just really, really. Uh, beautiful moments where she will run into someone that she's never met and they'll do something amazingly kind and her surprise at that moment mm. and the purity of the of the the intent of the person comes across in a really heartwarming way mm. uh, it, it's a beautiful book it's very short I want to say it's maybe 50 pages or so um, but it is it pages. really was something it was really something where I just I read it and immediately, I just started recommending it to people, and people who don't read comics, because mm -hmm. I was just like, "You, you like everyone understands this." 
this is not something where you know appreciate the formalism. This look as you can see that you know this panel mirrors this panel, and if you look at this, look at the way they, they cross the page. None of that. Mm-hmm. It, it's an amazingly welcoming book for 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 people who don't read comics to understand. Hmm. Uh, and I, I just I just like I immediately started recommending it as soon as I finished reading it. Wow! I I, I adored it. I really point blank loved it. Um, another book that I loved and which really surprised how much I ended up loving mm-hmm. was The Interview by Manuel Fior, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it was originally published in France, I think, a few years ago. And Fans Graphics put out an English translation this year. And it's a, a first contact story, but it's also not. It's a first contact story set in a near future, but it's also about a man whose wife leaves him convincing himself like i won't say going through midlife crisis but truly really not it's like a crisis of everything else in the world is insane and so this is his bearings um but he he's a psychiatrist and he falls for it seems one of his patients who claims that she has also talked to aliens because the book starts with him seeing the aliens and then, and then being unable to tell anyone mm-hmm and this patient is like, you've you've seen the aliens too. I've seen the aliens. Like I, this this is how I know you've seen the aliens. I understand. I, it happened to me. Uh, and they have an affair. There's also a, a subplot about a cultural movement of polygamy. The the, the monogamy is essentially damned uh, as, as a uh, a social construct by younger generations, uh, which is what brings the wife to leave him. Essentially, she's like, no, I, I can find a, a new life. Like, the, the world is changing. I can find a new life. Uh, he, he starts as a cynic about yeah. this, and then after the alien, uh, not even abduction, the alien contact, starts, you know, what what is actually happening in my life? Like, what do I believe? Like, what what is important? What is real? And I don't want to give away the end, but almost everything that every character believes and holds true in the book, by the end, the book has been turned on its head. Mm-hmm. in a really beautifully subtle way. And one of the things I really like about the book, besides the fact that Fiora's artwork is stunning, beautiful, um, it's, if you can imagine, you, you've read Dave McKean's Cages, right? The, yes. So it's the line work that McKean is using for his characters in Cages, mm. but simplified. Imagine if Alex Toth did Dave McKean's artwork in Cages. Wow. That's, hmm. okay. But that's, but that's the figures. Mm-hmm. And backgrounds and the aliens all have this beautiful um, charcoal line mm. and, and charcoal shading. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's a book that when I started reading, I was like, well, this looks amazing. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm not sure where the story is going. I'm not sure I, I really, you know, I'm not sure I'm really understanding this. I'm not sure I'm really getting it. And midway through, I was just like, no, no this is this is a heartbreaking work. That, that like I, I I really I'm deeply moved by this work, uh, and also it's beautiful. Like it's visually stunning. Um, so that again, had never heard of it, uh, and and ended it just like shaken, genuinely shaken. Wow. Yeah, like that. That was amazing. That was really good. Um, I'm trying to think what other stuff I've read. There's lots of stuff that uh, I've I'd read anyway that I, I really I come back to uh, and I've sort of come back to in, in sort of a I should remember this Eisner sense, uh, Tilly Walton spinning, 
I think is is a really beautifully subtle book, uh, and another book that takes your expectations and doesn't even throw them away as much as just shifts your expectations. Mm-hmm. And where so it, it's it's essentially sold as like a book about she's a, a a young girl in the cusp of adolescence and she's a figure skater and she has to move to a new town, and all of that is true, but what it's really about is uh, I. I want to say her sexuality, but that makes it sound like, you know, it's a terrible coming of age book. Mm-hmm. And it's really not like she says relatively early on, like I've known I was gay for years. Like it wasn't a big deal for me, mm-hmm. but instead it's how others respond to that and how she can't verbalize it at all. Mm-hmm. You know, she has crushes on people and she just can't because she's, she's living in Texas and she's 13 years old and she just, she just can't verbalize it. Um, and spoilers, everyone. Um, she's sexually assaulted in the book and she also can't talk about that mm. uh, that interplays with all the other stuff that she can't talk about and and what happens there you know what are the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves when we can't talk mm-hmm. you know uh and again the artwork is very simple but very simple in the right way Mm-hmm. The the lines feel very deliberate. The lines feel very evocative. They're full of emotion, mm-hmm. um, and so it comes across as a, a remarkably light work, even though it's it's incredibly weighty. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's dealing with such uh, such serious topics and not shying away from any of it. Mm-hmm. But it does come across as as this beautiful, you know, uh, just amazingly easy to read. Uh, very affecting story that it, it's just it's it's lovely mm. what else so i'm trying to think of other things that aren't eisner-esque um mr Mir- mr well, i was gonna say mr miracle and batman but i think both are, are eisner worthy mm-hmm. but but i'd read them like you know all along mm-hmm. uh, mr miracle you know how much i love mr miracle mm-hmm. um and the rec- most recent issue especially Oh, I think I think the most recent issue is my favorite so far. That was pretty spectacular, right? Yeah. It's really uh, again. It's I, I I've said this before here. Like I'm I'm almost afraid of this book because mm-hmm. you just know that it's going to end badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I wish you were like I'm more emotionally invested in these characters, and this is not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am going to be really fucked up when this book finishes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but issue five, holy shit, like really, really, really got to me. Mm-hmm. Deeply got to me. It's to the point where like I see myself in Scott. Mm. You know, in in Scott's uh, not refusal to face reality, but his idea of like, you know, you can kind of joke your way past it and not deal with it until it's right there. Right. You know, what if I just ignore it? Mm-hmm. If I just ignore it, then I don't have to think about it. And I, I'd like a very much saw myself in Scott there, mm. you know, uh, and so that that's boof. That's like that's an amazing book. Also, Mitch Gerard does not get nearly enough credit uh, for that book. Oh, holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I told you because this was I found this out for a piece that ended up not happening. But did I tell you about his what he's doing in Mister Miracle that like no one has talked about? Yeah, you did. Which is is that he's actually he's using actual comic book backgrounds is the backgrounds or something like that well, but also he's using the illustrators who influenced kirby as his influences on the characters oh 
Interesting. And also, this is on the cover, so you saw like the Mitch Glazer cover, mm-hmm. uh, Milton Glazer, sorry, cover mm-hmm. on issue four mm-hmm. that he did. Yeah, he so basically he's looking at what Kirby's influences are mm-hmm. and using his influences in the line work, mm-hmm. and then pulling from like the the colors and and in some cases the agile artwork mm-hmm. of the era that Kirby was creating this work mm-hmm. as color choices. I mean, there's so much in the artwork there. Yeah, completely. Well, and I that think... Really, yeah. That really does not get talked about because everyone's no. like, oh, God, I was like, I was weeping by the end of this one. It's so funny. You know, because for me, actually, that might be part of why this episode, this issue was my favorite because I feel a little hand-wringy backseat drivery when it comes to the, the, um, the new... Uh, God's sequences per se for for those some of those choices but and it's an issue that's not there yeah exactly but they're perfect but those are all perfect choices for Los Angeles so the spirit of LA that you know may not be accurate but so perfectly syncs up with so many of my memories of what it was like to be in LA just felt like profoundly spot on you know Mm -hmm. So I definitely had that fleeting thought of, yeah, it's a shame no, no one would have bought it or supported it, but I could read 50,000 issues of Scott and Big Barda living in L.A. and coping with the small stuff and the big stuff, you know, with varying degrees well, exactly. of success, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the the, the um, Demetrius uh, Ian Gibson series in the 80s mm-hmm. you know the let's do let's just do like it's Scott and Barda and they're married mm-hmm. like I'd love to see have see King and, and Gerard's version of it yeah you know because because they they bring something to it and actually to, to skip across to, to Batman for a second what did you think of the last couple of issues of Batman uh, I am an issue behind because there's the version that it, I think didn't the issue just come out yesterday or was it last yeah, week yeah yeah no, so yesterday yeah so i haven't read yesterday's issue and of course i read the issue from two weeks ago that was the first part of the mm-hmm. batman superman one and yeah generally i liked it again i liked the idea of listening to people in romantic relationships talk i didn't think that it was super awesome for pacing um at the risk of spoiling my own list, I did want to mention that that on my list, the stuff that I've put on there that's for Batman by Tom King is the stuff that he's done with uh, Lee Weeks. So like Batman Annual Elmer 2 and, the, annual. and yeah. the Elmer Fudd ended up, I decided to throw them as a two, like a single entry on my list because I thought that they are they are exceptional and part of that is king and part of it really is that weeks is just oh weeks is amazing stunning stunning stuff that that stuff is like fucking phenomenal you know which is amazing because i remember reading weeks's stuff back when he was sort of doing the post john ramita jr issues of daredevil with ann nocenti and it was being like oh yeah this guy's pretty good and seeing this long for the time to pass and to be like holy shit this guy is like 
oh, ferocious. Where the hell has he been? So anyway, to get get off topic, I'm uh, again like Lee Weeks pushes King stuff over the top for me, and King of like any decent halfway decent comic book person, especially a writer when they have an amazing collaborator, it really, then it really catches fire. And I, I feel that's the case with Weeks and Gerard, certainly. So. And talking about collaborators, um, Weeks as colorists in those books have been Oh, yeah. Great. Elizabeth like, Breitweiser. It, it, it's in it's Breitweiser and on the, yeah, yeah. is so good. Oh. Like, adds a lot to the work. That's beautiful line work, but he does, like, she does a lot uh, on top of that, oh, that really makes it sing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Did she didn't do the coloring on the Elmer Fudd issue though? I don't think. I wonder, did she? For some reason, I think it's Dave Stewart. That would make sense. I, I, I could be sense. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Hang on, I'll look it up. But no, she like did one of the things that works so well mm-hmm. for I think is that the the colors mm-hmm. really really make things. Uh, and no, it's it's Lovern can. Zierski hmm. and Carrie Strachan apparently. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So there you go. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's it's the, the colors really have helped Weeks and Weeks, you know, is no slouch. Well, that's the, it. the color the colors push over the top. Yeah. A couple of other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Divine has, for my money, like really. It's always been good. I've always enjoyed it, but this year and in particular this last issue. Mm-hmm have just been stunning um there's a a reveal in this last issue that is one of those everything you know is wrong reveals Mm -hmm. and it's done perfectly Mm. it's done perfectly not only in like when it falls in the issue Mm -hmm. but also it's done perfectly in that it's simultaneously you did not see it coming and it makes perfect sense you know, when you look back and you're like, oh, shit, I want to reread the entire thing because that's right. Mm. Like, I never noticed any of that. And it was right in front of my face the entire time. Mm. Um, and those are very tricky to do right, especially to do it, to have it make sense and for it not to be obvious ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like even an issue or so ahead of time, we were like, oh, looks like he's heading towards blah, blah, blah. And this just wasn't. This came out of nowhere. Wow. And you're like, that's stunning i mean genuinely stunning mm-hmm. um another image book and one i only read because people on twitter were like oh this is one of the best books of the year and my response was i've literally never heard of that comic mm-hmm. uh extremity by oh god have i even written down somewhere i apparently have not written down anywhere who did it which is a shame i'll have to look it up because it, it's uh it's written and drawn by the same guy huh it's... daniel warren john right huh um uh, it is and this sounds like uh, damning with faint praise. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought when I read it was, oh, it's Saga and Star Wars done by Paul Pope. Wow. But it's not. Mm-hmm. But that's like the immediate thing that my brain locked onto. Hmm. Um, in many ways, he's wearing his influences on the sleeve. Mm-hmm. But he also manages to synthesize them in a way that feels fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh I actually strongly suspect that you'd really like it. it I think it looking might at the description, yeah, I'm totally. And I down think it might it. press a lot of your profit buttons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas for me, it's emotionalism that profit didn't, mm-hmm. which is what I latch onto. Mm-hmm. But there's, it it arrives fully formed, which is kind of amazing. Hmm. By the first issue, you're like, I know this world. 
Wow. I understand what conflicts are. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know what is happening here. Um, and in the, over the, the course of the first arc, which is maybe five issues, maybe six, um, he pulls a wonderful reversal that feels incredibly organic. So you you start from a place, like within six issues, you get introduced to the, the status quo and he reverses the status quo and all of it just feels right. It feels properly paced. Wow. None of it feels gratuitous. None of it feels, um, you know, forced or awkward or I've got to hit this, this story piece for the, the end of the first trade at all, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it looks amazing. His, his art is very much of the Pope, uh, David Rubin, James Stokoe mm. sort of school mm-hmm. uh, but with enough of his own influences in there as well that it's just it's again it's beautiful to look at it's amazingly well written I had never heard of it yeah yeah I don't think until I had people, either until most people were like no this is one of the best books of the year and I was like you know if this many people are saying it right I should pr- probably read it and within the first issue I was like oh, shit I'm just gonna have to get all of these mm. Um, really genuinely blew me away. Um, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl is still up there for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually did a, a, a pretty big like catch up this week on that. I, I'm I well overdue because like, I'm yeah I'm like I think I might be close to a year behind. Yeah, and there's just some lovely work in there mm-hmm. as as always, but it just it hasn't slacked. You know, it's the same with Giant Days. Giant Days doesn't get worse. Giant mm-hmm. Days just like stays that good. Right. Also, uh, and I'm kind of surprised I like this as much as you, but Hawkeye. I really fucking like the new Hawkeye series. Yeah, I, I saw some really, of your screenshots really on uh, on the Tumblr, and they, it does look seem pretty great. It's just, it's so, um, it's pitch perfect, mm-hmm. first of all. Like, it's exactly what you want for that character. Uh, but it's also, it never comes across as forced. And it kind of shoots, you know, the concept feels like, oh, look, they're doing Veronica Mars, but with Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the Kate Bishop Hawkeye, I should say. It's not Clint Barton. Right. Um, but it just comes across as like remarkably organic, you know, and, and, and very, again, fully formed, mm-hmm. very complete. Uh, and and it, it's another one where like I read an issue and I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to read all the other issues now. <laughs> like right now, I'm going to have to read all. And, you know, the first six or so I think are already on if not more are already on Marvel Unlimited so it's very easy to do that it's very easy just go nets 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 mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I, I, I'm I'm surprised by how much uh, I really really enjoy that oh, that's, that's great uh, and Flintstones but um, you know you and I have spent a lot of this podcast talking about how much we loved Flintstones and I think Flintstones ended perfectly oh god what a beautiful last you know, issue that was, yeah. And, and I think the fact that it stuck the landing so well, mm-hmm. it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, that's just fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know if that's 10, but I, I want to say it probably is. Wait, Graham, you don't know for sure? Like, No, I didn't write, I didn't write them down, Jeff. Oh my God. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Oh my God, you're... Oh, all right. Well, that's that's good, Graham. Uh, if you think of any more, just feel free to shout them out in the middle. No, of my... I want you. I want you to do yours. Come on. Okay. Well, so the the thing that's rough is a. I wrote my down. B. Uh, I've got some runner <laughs> runners up. That's good. Yeah, you know. But but I, the thing that bothers me is I wrote them down, but I did not. 
pace it out, which kind of sucks. I wanted to spend a little more time being like, oh, this is here and this should go there and this is this. So, so let's talk about. I'll talk. I'll just mention is the first is uh, the bottom of the list because I really didn't rank them at all. They're all just like stuff. Um, uh, the Batman Annual number two, and of course Batman v Fud by Tom King and Lee Weeks and Elizabeth Breitweiser did an amazing job on Batman Annual 2 and the team that did the FUD books really just really um, very fabulously full satisfying reads which is great and in Batman Annual 2 I, I that grew so much in in uh, my memory of it as it as it went I'm like yeah that was that was pretty... That, that really was good. Pretty much perfect, yeah. Uh, the other thing I should mention for people is, as I said, my my list is triple is A. It's absurd, it's appalling, and it's arbitrary. There's not a lot of stuff even necessarily that came out this year. Uh, some of it is stuff that I read this year. Um, and uh, depending on when you're looking at it, was is old or very old. Um so let's go, let's get the other Batman stuff out of the way. Uh, this is such a ridiculous thing to make the list because as people who listen to the podcast know, um, I've read this shit before, but being able to sit down with the iPad and read uh, an issue or two a night from the Legends of the Dark Knight, Jim Aparo volumes, volumes one or two, which are just him and Bob Haney doing Brave and the Bold issue after issue after issue. It's fucking so satisfying. Like those those do you comics. Have volume three. I do now. Um, okay. But in fact, I say now, but it didn't it didn't come out until midway through the year. Um, okay. So I, I just I, I saw it in the sale when we were looking at. Something. Yeah, exactly, and that's part of why I figured it's worth shouting out for people who are listening. If you have, uh, you know, um, if you read stuff through uh, Kindle slash Comixology, if you've linked your account so you can do either, DC's a uh, big ass four ninety nine for trade tr digital trade sale is going. I think through just a little past the end of the year, which is amazing. I want to say it's going through the second of January. Yeah, yeah, January second or January fourth, I forget which. And um, if you're wondering, like, well, what should I get? Like each one of the Jim Aparo volumes is 500 goddamn pages, and it's for 4.99. It's a beautiful. I mean, that's just it. It's literally a penny a page. Jeff. Yeah, exactly. For stuff that is astonishingly good, those are just those again. Some of my absolute favorite reads. Uh, a lot of people have been have chipped in, chimed in to let us know how. Um, how amazingly hilarious they found Graham's uh, read through of that Bob Haney world's finest story. Don't, you know, don't, don't uh, deprive yourself any longer. Go. Exactly. Make, make... Don't skip out on Haney. Yeah. Which I think, you know, if we ever were to rename this podcast, <laughs> don't, don't skip out on Haney. Absolutely. Might be the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, buh, 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 buh. So, Another thing that I should mention that I think is actually a pretty good value for the money, and I don't really talk about it much, but Comixology Unlimited is something like $6 a month, and it's all money going toward the evil Amazon empire, but but man, you get a lot of great stuff there. You can pretty much read all of... 
and uh, well, the reason why I mentioned it is through Comixology Unlimited, I read the first two omnibus omnibuy of Battle Angel Alita: Last Order, which is the sequel to Battle Angel Alita, um, done by uh, Yukiti Kishiro. Everyone's Battle Angel Alita, thanks to that um, semi-repulsive uh, movie trailer, is you know on everyone's lips. The first two volumes of Last Order, which is a sequel to a series that I never read, was such a being thrown into the deep end of the pool and being so into kind of how heavy, um, you know, Kishiro really just just did so much. The world building was so deep. It was it was very much sort of. I don't know. It, I I think anyone who's very much into so, anything from classic Akira to like, you know, the later day world building of Warren Ellis would really get a major kick out of just those first two volumes. I love so much. But honestly, you can get all of Battle Angel Alita currently through some sort of deal um, that comiXology slash Amazon has got going with Kodansha where literally all the volumes are available for you to check out and read at your leisure totally recommend hopping on that I jumped back and started reading um, Battle Angel Alita back up and since it really does jump back into like I think the late 80s when he when he starts in on it um it seems very different in style, uh, and it's a very different book. But it is, at every point, like his 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 cartooning, his design, and honestly, the way that his panel to panel storytelling uh, works is just awesome. That was an amazing read. If you're uh, not on Comicsology Unlimited, but definitely something that I enjoyed reading again, that you can pick up through a variety of formats, either hard copy or not. Uh, volume 2 of the Complete Creep Hacks, published by Fanographics, re their ambitious attempt to collect all of smutty Italian comic maestro Guido Creep Hacks is, is a wonderful read. Like, uh, Volume 2, which really focuses on Valentina. I didn't even make it all the way through, but the stuff that I was reading, it's, it's, it's almost like the comic book equivalent of just savoring, like, you know, pick your food or drink of choice. It's just, you mm -hmm. just kind of let it, you know, you let it sit on your eyeballs. It's amazing. He's telling a story that ostensibly has lots of naked women, but is all about I think in many ways the objectification of women in which Valentina finds herself sort of committed to an insane asylum and the woman, the sexy um, patient next door who uh, may be an alien robot uh, is just, it's, it, at every stage you're just like, this shouldn't work. And what's great is, is there are pages that don't necessarily work, but are just jaw-dropping just fabulous mm -hmm. uh as long as i'm talking about oldies that are that were like big favorite reads I, um one of the best times that i had was picking up uh west coast avengers lost in space time by steve Englehart, al milgram and uh joe sinnett which um 
collects the amazing Engelhart uh, uh, sequel to his original Engelhart Avengers story in which the West Coast Avengers end up being lo- literally lost in space time as they move backwards through uh, time in an attempt to uh, basically defeat Kang and, and finding themselves stymied and separated the timelines fracture from issue to issue with storylines splitting in fivefold. It really is a kind of a just a really stunning. Inkelhart is of if he's a formalist, there's he never reads like a formalist because there's yeah. so much heart in what he reads, and it all feels so almost. Um, spontaneous and off the cuff but nevertheless the technical achievements that are wrapped up in his stories when he's really cooking are are pretty remarkable so uh i enjoyed that and uh west coast avengers family ties which is the beginning of his run and uh again for those of you who have a little bit of money and are not comicsology averse the big ass marvel sale which is currently running uh, I think both in on Amazon and um, Kindle has volume two, uh, which I just picked up. Um, it only came out digitally in like the last 90 days or whatever. Uh, and let's see, can I see what volume, what the, what that volume is called in case you people care? Uh, blah, Sins of the past. Um, it's uh, I'm pretty excited to read that as well. So you can pick those up for a pittance and man, they're great stuff. Uh, I'm sort of tied, uh, sort of in the way that I've got a manga, uh, uh, I've got a twofer for Batman. I've kind of got a manga twofer of recommendations from listeners of the podcast. In fact, it might've been the same listener and I'm a dick cause I didn't go hunt down their name, but thank you for recommending interview with monster girls by Pitos and, uh, girls comic Nazuka-kun by, uh, I think is Izumi Tusubaki, uh, which I love the first three or four volumes of Girls Comics uh, Nozokai-kun, which is about a incredibly handsome, shy, withdrawn man who a girl uh, at school falls in love with him and discovers his shocking secret, which is, is that he is a successful manga cartoonist uh, for girls romance comics and it it quickly spirals into it's it's an amazing gag strip that in the best spirit of best gag strips manages to throw in character you know re- reoccurring characters and um, little mini story arcs while still delivering the jokes at the end of of each strip and uh, I just I I loved it tremendously um Interview with Monster Girls by Pitos is very different. Or Petos uh, has a lovely bit of world building. Um, you have to be able to deal with some fan service, although I think it is handled very tastefully in this story of a teacher who is fascinated by the um, basically the supernatural beings that the that rarely appear in the world but do exist four of whom just conveniently enough happen to be uh, female students at his school. Uh, actually, I take that back. I think three students and one is a teacher. Um, it's 
it's a really kind of a great the world building and the amount of thought that's put into it is kind of stunning considering that it it's just crazy like you're actually telling me a story about like a female snow girl because of course all the the super most of the characters have their basis in japanese mythology um while i'm talking about absurd manga that shouldn't work but is actually fabulous thanks to the amount of thought and world building delicious in dungeon volume one by ryoko kui uh i loved what an amazing name yeah delicious in dungeon is fucking just was such a great read i can't believe that i've got um i i literally have too much stuff to read graham i have volume two and have not cracked it but volume one was one of my favorite experiences of the year it's about a bunch of uh dungeon adventurers who after dying and losing most of their supplies are in a big hurry to actually rescue one of their members at the deepest level of the dungeon. The only solution that they can think of rather than fight and build up their, their cash reserves so they can afford equipment is they spend what they have left on most of their equipment and for their food rations, they decide to eat whatever they can find and defeat. So the thing that's stunning is, is in some ways it's not unlike Oh God! I wish I'd done the research. Uh, Tobiko, I think the 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 food comic that is entirely built around crazy imaginary food and the food hunters who like bring down the mythical monsters and and then cook them. Delicious in Dungeon to me is is actually more enjoyable as an experience because Kui manages to make all the goes into such detail about what it would take to cook an animated suit of armor uh and eat it that you're like a i think i've actually learned something about how nutrition works and b again <laughs> the world building is is kind of amazingly um supple really incredibly mm. enjoyable uh and I think, you know, as long as I'm just continuing on this course, although I'm really, I don't have many left, I'll jump to the other amazing cooking slash adventure book, uh, the first two volumes of Golden Kamoi by uh, Satoru Noda, which is just a phenomenal uh, action comic about Saichi uh, Sugimoto, who is a survivor of the battle of the um, one of the major battles in the Rus Russo-Japanese War, and uh, he becomes a miner in Hokkaido in order to provide for the widow of his dead comrade, and ends up hearing a story of uh, hidden Ainu gold um, stashed by a criminal group. He comes across clues to its location, and he decides that uh, he, with the help of an Ainu girl, uh, a Serpa, are going to actually go out into Hakakito's harsh northern wilderness and find the gold while facing um, crazed wild animals and the deadly killers of the 7th Division of the Imperial Japanese Army. It's, it's high adventure, and the thing that really makes it, like, absolute uh, cannot-put-it-down reading material is that, um, is that Noda really does did such a deep dive into the research of the Ainu culture that you learn so much. There's so much interesting, fascinating stuff on like every page. I guess 
Yeah, I had I had like a high concept pitch that I realized was just like the worst pitch ever. So I'll pass it up. Just let me just say it's like if you love just amazing the the Inoda's storytelling is great. All the fight scenes are kind of vivid and dangerous, and um, and then it's just fleshed out with like humor and characterization, and uh, it's it's just it, two volumes in. It is a breakneck paced uh, adventure book and really wonderful for reading um, and at the risk of giving away my um, uh, well this brings me to to my I think my penultimate uh, pick if I if I've done these counting right and I think that I have um, people might remember me talking about some of the books that were on sale in the media dough sale which I was like huh I've never heard of most of this manga and it looks kind of cheap and cut rate and I'm like but I'm kind of into it because unlike because I really just can't read a lot of shonen manga very much anymore it's like some sort of sign in manga like stuff that's written for not written for you know horny 14 year olds but it's actually written for horny 22 year olds so you can actually see you know boobs and you can actually get a little more emotional depth with your boobs or less depending i read some really strange shit like uh black labyrinth troop and uh snm and the amazing uh tasokari's dream which is just kind of eyeball melting in some of its visuals uh and so after discussing it with you graham and being kind of like yeah that was some amazing holy shit stuff I went back. I noticed the media sale was still happening and seemed to have more titles. So I started looking and came across a book called Steaming Sniper, which I'm like, oh, my God. Exactly. I'm like, OK, I have to buy this. Like, I could not buy it fast enough. Like, they, they were, like, willing to give me the first issue of like a 32 page installment for free and i'm like no no my friend i actually want to pay the two dollars or three dollars for the first volume so that i can have all of my steaming sniper experience in you know the dose in which it was designed for now the thing that's amazing about the title steaming sniper is i was like that has got to be the worst translation <laughs> the thing like there's just one? Oh yeah, yeah. No, there's going to be other things, but I guess the first okay. thing that one might strike one is this like steaming sniper. The other thing that's amazing is that the when you open up volume one, it immediately starts as you would think with uh, the titular sniper killing a bunch of people, just shooting the shit out of them, all at close range, which is a little you know distressing for purists like me, but. Here's the thing that's awesome, Graham McMillan. Steaming Sniper is about a sniper who, a, a successful assassin who gets tired of the is life. Is drunk. No, he quits the life and goes to work in a bathhouse, uh, a, a, like a Japanese inn oh, out in the middle of my nowhere. God. Yes. Steaming Sniper. Please tell me that the, the life wouldn't leave him alone, though. You know what's amazing? The life doesn't really come back to touch him until like volume two. The the oh thing God. is, um, the thing that's amazing <laughs> is, is like, I really was. I was like, oh, I know where this is going to go. And you know what? It kind of becomes a slice of life uh, thing where, of course, um, 
Jen, the the sniper, is just a guy who basically runs around uh, doing errands for everyone and, you know, insists that he was like a middle-aged guy who, like, lost it all during the recession and wants to start over. And so he starts off as this hardworking worker at the end. But, like, you know, it's stories of, like, him, uh, you know helping the geisha like fight off like horny dudes. And I was like, okay, so every episode is going to be like him being super awesome and beating the crap out of like guys who won't behave. But frankly, that rarely happens. It's usually him being awesome. Like one of my favorite chapters is uh, a, a chapter where a family comes and stays and, and the kid who's, uh, you know, squirrely and full of energy, gets up in the middle of the night and runs down the halls of the inn and starts messing around with stuff and then disappears. And how the whole inn comes together to search for the kid and how uh, Jen and the, the mistress of the house end up finding the kid is great. It's a really odd little... I mean, it's not quite sort of like, oh, it's like a Jim Jarmusch manga, but it it runs really close. Weirdly enough, so Yukimori Sniper, I tried to do some research on the internet about it. And one of the things that's amazing is, is it was turned into a TV show in Japan in like 2004, which ran for like 11 episodes. Those 11 episodes get so much more coverage on the, at least on the American internet than the actual manga, which ran for 16 volumes. But what I was able to hunt up is a, there were 16 volumes of Yukimori sniper. It was by, uh, Tadashi Matsumori and, uh, Yuho Hishikata and Yuho Hishikata is actually called Marley caribou in the English credits what? for Steaming Sniper. Yeah, which is, I I assume, a translator's choice because apparently uh, Hishikata is suspected to be a pen name of uh, Geron Tishuya? God damn, I... Tishia? I should have figured out how to pronounce that. Who's actually the writer of Old Boy. So Old Boy is, you know, pretty big deal. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that that he's suspected of writing this under a pseudonym, but has never confirmed it or technically ever denied it. So the thing about Steaming Sniper was I was expecting something to be a steaming pile in the book, and it wasn't the sniper. And instead, it rubbed all of my middle-aged man erogenous zones. Yeah, there's some occasional naked boobs and stuff like that, but... Not that often. And yeah, every once in a while there's some violence, but it's not that often. Like, basically, there's a, when you said, like, the life won't leave him alone, there's an assassin who, like, shows up and wants him to take on one last job. Um, but how Jen talks him out of it is maybe a little, it's, it's, it's I want to say it's probably what you would expect, but it's still somewhat satisfying. Far better is the chiropractor who comes to the inn and everyone insists works on Jen and he's reluctant 
because of course he doesn't want to like show his scars and stuff like that. But just the fact there's a great sequence where the, the chiropractor is like, this one shoulder is really tense. Like, what do you, what did you do with this shoulder? What, what did you do for a living before you came here? And of course you see a flashback to Jen on some, you know, rooftop with like the rifle stock up against his shoulder. And I'm like, I want to live in this book forever and ever and ever. Because, of course, it again, it plays into all sorts of fantasies that old dudes have of like, oh, I'll just go somewhere and I'll start off. And because I'm such a hard worker, I could like work at a hotel in the middle of nowhere and everyone will quietly respect me and perhaps even come to love me. But it doesn't matter because I'm just so excited that I managed to escape the life that I made for myself. But will I ever really true know, truly know peace, you know? Awesome. Awesome. I, I enjoyed it so much. Not for everyone, arguably not for anyone but me uh, and maybe the 16 people, uh, the, the people who read the 16 volumes in Japan. But wow, did I enjoy that? That was a surprising considering the number of comics that I'd read from that same publisher that were kind of like, oh, and here's a here's another story in which somebody's terrifying snake penis rips through like six people in a row while they all yell about how they they made huge mistakes in their life. Um, which again, maybe another middle-aged man fantasy, I don't know. So I think this brings me up to... My last book, uh, which is Rock Candy Mountain by Kyle Starks, which you and I have talked about. And I yes. Think, yeah. Uh, and which, which really does it for you like, yeah. it, on, on so many levels. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, again, kind of like Golden Kamoy. It's, it's well-researched. It's rollicking high adventure. Um, you know, Starks' stuff straddles this really weird space between being not completely serious because it's completely filled with jokes, most of which are utterly anachronistic. And yet it's also clearly a strongly historically researched uh, deep dive into the hobo lifestyle of the thirties about, uh, about an un unbeatable hobo who's trying to find rock candy mountain and is being pursued by the devil, as well as most of the authorities in the U S kind of amazing the i'm i'm so happy that that book exists uh that's my top 10 graham mcmillan you will not believe it because we weren't even talking an hour but you i know we we've done it oh wait you stopped you originally when you were talking you were buzzing and fuzzing and i'm like oh crap we're gonna have to stop but we have done it can i talk about my uh runners up very quickly okay but you have six minutes fair enough Prologue Issues to Metal by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. Haven't really been digging metal. The prologue issues I thought were fantastic. Uh, Flintstones by Mark Russell and Steve Pugh. Enough said. Gwenpool by Christopher Hastings and Guri Huru. I know you don't like them, Graham, but I don't care. It's Al not like, sure, like them. It's, it's okay. Like Let's not spend... We've got six minutes. Don't need it in my six minutes. <laughs> Such a dick maneuver on my part. An attempted dick maneuver. Uh, Al Ewing and Adam Gorham's Rocket which only existed for like five or six issues, but was a, a really enjoyable read. Uh, Deathstroke by Christopher Priest, Carlo pa Pagalayan, Diogenes Neves, and a bunch of others ended up being like, in some, some may say, just sort of your, what you would hope your average superhero comic book would be, or, or anti-hero comic book would be, but... Uh, Honestly, it was always sort of consistently surprising and interesting. And Priest, in many ways, might be worth visiting the way in which he and Englehart 
have surprisingly similar styles, I suppose. Uh, I'm Not Okay With This by Charles Foreman, which uh, I finally read as a trade after reading the first uh, couple of the... the as PDFs, right? Yeah, the mini, the PDFs and the mini comics that he was sending us through the Patreon. Um, holy shit, that didn't make my top ten list because I have some quibbles with the ending, which is to say that it kind of um, destroyed me in a way that I was like, no, that's not fair, and I don't know if it is or not. Still, a really substantial read. Uh, rereading the Hookjaw Archive by Ken Armstrong, Roman Sola, and Pat Mills. There is nothing better than three pages of a shark killing as many people as possible <laughs> in three pages. Just the best. So that that's sort of my list. There's other things that I think would have made it on there if I had had time. Like the fucking X-Men Grand Design only came out like yesterday. Yesterday, so I yeah. haven't had a chance to read it because I was busy reading issues for our Baxter building. I loved the first issue of Fence. God only knows where the second issue of Fence is going to do if it's going to pull things out. You know, isn't Fence like three or four issues, isn't it? No, no, I don't. If it is, it's being published. I think you're getting advanced issues. Issue two only hit Comicsology yesterday, I believe. Okay, I I believe you. For some reason, I just thought it was it was much further in. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Was it a web comic first? I don't know. Uh, so so there we have it, Graham. We wrapped it up. Look at us, yay world. Good job for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we should also. Thank everyone for listening for throughout the year, seeing as this is technically the last Wade Watt of the year. Yes, that's right. No, it's, really, it's really just a mini-sode. Yeah. Because because we're about to do a Baxter building right now, but you won't hear it right now unless I really suppose at the same time. It's possible, <laughs> friends. Who can even tell? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for all of your support, direct, indirect, fiscal non-fiscal uh there's a whole bunch of people we should give shout outs to but you know you guys you guys will forgive us if we get to that in 2018 we will be back in 2018 in fact graham isn't that correct i would hope so (laughs) unless you have your plans i don't know about (laughs) okay good we're on the same page you'll notice i was expecting graham to have plans i didn't know about so uh, so yeah, let's... I have I have lots of plans that I'm not going to tell Jeff about. Yeah. But really, there's going to be a Baxter building momentarily, yeah. so you don't have to, you don't miss us that much. Uh, however, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening throughout the years. And presuming this does go up on Christmas Eve, as is my plan, and now I can always edit this out if this doesn't happen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Ah, yes, indeed. Merry Christmas. Okay. Happy Hanukkah. Happy all the oh, Hanukkah's over, of course, but you know, happy all the other holidays. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, we will talk to you soon.